Good morning, New Life Manitou. How are we doing? Good? Good. Okay, my name is Taylor. If you're able, would you please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Philippians 1, 1 through 14. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident with the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray to you now. And Lord, we say a simple prayer from your text of scripture in the Old Testament. This prayer just says, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Lord, would you speak to us through this passage, through this ancient letter. Lord, we lift up your name. We praise you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, all of God's people shouted with joy. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of similarities, I think, between this uh, church that we're in right now, New Life Manitou, and what I pray and what is being prayed for us, and what Paul prays for the Philippians. We're a small church in a small city, relatively, and yet our vision is huge. We are praying that the gospel will go out, the gospel will advance, and love will abound. Let me try it over here. We're praying for the gospel... To go out. We're praying for the gospel to advance and love to abound, right? Amen. 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 Maybe I caught you off guard. I'll give you another turn. But would you open your Bibles to Philippians? Would you flip to Philippians? Oh, I said that last week and no one left. I'm going to double down. We're going to keep doing that joke. Um, So flip to Philippians. First of all, we're going to do a pop quiz. And for some of you, your heart just like, oh, you remember the days in high school or middle school or college when you came to class not doing the reading and the teacher says, pull out a piece of paper and a pen, put everything else away, pop quiz. And you're like, no. But then the teacher might say, it's open book. And you're like, oh, okay, I can handle this. So your pop quiz is open book. These answers can be found, uh, almost all of them in the, in the first couple verses of Philippians. Who is the book of Philippians to? The Philippians. Yeah, the people. It says specifically, if we're going to get specific, it says to the holy people in Christ Jesus, so the people of the church, and together with the overseers and deacons, so the people in the church and the leadership of the church. That's who it's to. Question number two, uh, this one isn't found in the text. Scripture had to either be here last week or just to happen to know this. Where is, what modern day country is the city of Philippi in? 
Greece, it is. It's in the northeast uh, section of Greece. Uh, I've been there. It's, it was a great joy to see the ancient ruins, about four football fields of ruins and ancient buildings, and to go see this city, to go. Remember last week I showed a picture of me pointing uh, and smiling hysterically at the place where Paul was when there was an earthquake and chains came off, and then the jailer becomes a believer. Uh, I've been in that exact place. It was wonderful. It was a very encouraging place. So it's in the city of uh, Philippi that this letter's written to. It's in the country of modern-day Greece. It was in the region of Macedonia. Uh, Who, easy question, who wrote the letter? Paul. More specifically, you could say Paul and Timothy is what it says, but then all the language in the letter is all me and I, singular. So really, it's it's Paul writing this letter. Question number four, uh, we don't know what city Paul is in writing this letter, but we do know the kind of place Paul was in when he wrote the letter. Paul was in prison or jail. He was in chains. He refers to himself being in chains quite a few times. And a major theme, last week we talked about this, a major theme. It's, by the way, the answer's on the board. What is one of the themes, the major theme of the book of Philippians? Joy. It's in there 14 times, of, of 16 times. Of the 104 verses that make up this book, 16 verses have the word, word joy or rejoice in them. It's a major theme. And yet you kind of wonder, like Paul was in prison. He had probably every reason to not be full of gladness and joy. And yet he writes this letter bursting with Joy. It is a major theme in this book. And yet he writes to the Philippians saying, I don't have anything. I am not in need of anything because I have so much joy and because you have taken care of me. We mentioned this last week that in the ancient world, if you were in prison, the state, the government, the Roman Empire did not provide food, clothing, blanket, shelter, that you had to have friends provide those things for you. And Philippians were providing that for Paul. So one of the sub themes that Paul wants to write about is how he wants to thank the Philippians for giving them, uh, giving him these things. He has everything he needs, and yet it's still no Disneyland. He's in chains. He is in some sort of imprisonment. It's not a good situation, yet he writes with joy. Reminds me of a cheesy joke that I will try to tell now. Um, imagine a new person going to a full, uh, full maximum security prison, uh, like state penitentiary, longtime prisoners there. Uh, fresh fish goes in, he's brand new, and he's surrounded by guys that had been in for years and years and years, and they're going to be in for years and years and years. He goes in and just has a sense that like, oh, there's, there's, this place is different. There seems to be a little bit of joy here. It's prison, yeah, yeah, but there seems to be uh, an uplifting place, a place of joy, if he can put words to it. And he spends the first day listening to uh, other prisoners call out numbers. Five! And then everyone in the prison starts laughing. Ah, hilarious. He's like, what is that? So he calls out another number, 12. And everyone just starts laughing. Good one, ha, And then he hears another number, seven. And everyone just starts laughing. He finally gets the courage to ask his cellmate, his celly, hey, what's the deal with these numbers? And everyone laughing. And the celly says, well, We've been in this prison so long, we haven't heard any new jokes. And so we have all these jokes and we have our, our jokes numbered. And so we just, we don't go through the whole joke we don't, or the punchline. We just call out the numbers and everyone's like, oh, that's hilarious. And they remember the joke. And he says, oh, that's pretty cool. Could I try? And he's like, oh, sure, go ahead. So he calls out 20. Dead silence. Well, that's weird. Maybe I'll call one out that had already been told. So he's like, five, nothing. And he calls out another one, uh, 29, nothing. 
And he says, what gives? And his celly says, well, don't worry, kid. Don't beat yourself up. Not everyone can tell a good joke. <laughs> That's the cheesy joke for the day. Consider the joy Paul has. Like he is full of gladness, full of joy. He is in prison. He is in chains. And we're going to talk about he might have been chained to a building. He may have been chained in a cell. Or what's pretty common amongst historians is he might have been chained to another guard, another soldier, and those guards would switch off. Uh, and we'll talk about this a little later, how that's, Paul thinks that's even an opportunity for him. But think about this quote. Dale Carnegie once said that two men looked outside of the prison bars. Have you heard this quote? One man sees mud the other man sees stars. Paul sees stars. And the constellation that Paul sees is Jesus and joy and love abounding all over the place. You know, when you're in prison, time slows down. You are uh, you are burdened with non-distraction. You don't have anything to do. And you're also gifted with non-distraction. So you have time to think about the things that really do matter. I, I get to, uh, as a pastor, I get to visit people in prisons. And uh, there's a guy, I've probably mentioned him before, he gets out this Sunday. He's been in for seven years. I've, I've known this guy. He has, uh, he, he would be the first to tell you he struggles with some mental illness. He, he went in seven years ago for just a minor thing and keeps getting in more and more trouble why he's been in prison. He's been pretty good for the last, gosh, couple years now. And so he's getting out this Sunday. Praise the Lord. And I got to call him or he called me, answered the phone, had a great conversation with him. And I just thought of like, he has this, he's been thinking, he's had time to think and all all of our conversation was about the Lord and about how he wants to see family and how the bigger things in life, how he just can't wait to get out and how grateful he is. He was grateful to you guys. You guys don't even know this, but when you give, so we had the, the buckets go by and stuff. When you give money, go, we get to disperse money and benevolence. We are get, we get to next week pay for a bit of his flight uh, to get home to see his mom in Florida and some of his expense for travel. So thank all of you. He wanted to thank you. So Praise the Lord for that, for his story. So in the midst of prison, Paul, going back to our book here, has all this time to write and to think, and his letter gushes with love. It's like a fire hydrant opened up and outpours love to these Philippians. He loves them. He loves them. He loves them. He goes on and on. I mean, look at some of the, the, the lines here that, that uh, Taylor just read. He prays for us all the time, prays with joy, the partnership and the gospel from that day till now it's going out. He's just so excited with joy, with joy, with joy and love. He writes this letter and you might think, oh, that's just how the ancient world wrote letters like Hallmark greeting cards, just love love everywhere, fire hydrant open, just love and everything's love and how grateful he is and he wants Jesus to know about it and everything's awesome. And no, that's actually the exact opposite. Ancient letters were very serious. They did not get into emotional things. And yet that's even more a testimony of what's going on here in this letter. Paul is loving these people and trying to encourage them. And he knows that he's probably not going to see them again. In some of other Paul's letters, he says, uh, I'll be 
there in a little while. I'll visit you. I'm going to be there myself. In this letter, he says, I don't know if I'm going to see you again. So think about last week we said uh, he goes and visits Philippi. He converts uh, Lydia, the jailer. There's a brand new church. And he's writing now, maybe 10 years later, saying, I might not get to see you ever again. And so listen to these words. So, so far, that's been my introduction. This sermon has just two points. The first one is to talk about love, abounding in love, because that's what Paul uh, prays for these Philippians. And the second is that the gospel would be advanced and the gospel would go out. And I think they're one in the same. The gospel is a gospel of love. So two point sermon. Are you ready to dive in? You guys ready to dive in? (laughs) Are you guys ready to dive in? Okay, that you redeemed yourself. So the first point is this love Love may abound more and more. This is the prayer Paul prays for these Philippians, that your love, that love may abound more and more. Prayer is usually not associated with pop songs, but there is a song, a country song. Uh, If any of you are country uh, music fans, there's a song called Pray For You. Do you know this song? It's a, it's a, some of you might know it. It's a guy by, by a guy named Jaron, and it's about prayer and praying for someone. It starts off like this. It says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. Is basically what he happens is in any country song, uh, you lose something or someone. In fact, there's the joke, the song by Rascal Flatts. What do you get when you play a country song backwards? You get your dog back and your truck back and your best friend Jack back and your hair back. You know the song. You know the joke. This song is like that. He loses uh, a girlfriend, his ex, and so he goes to church. The preacher tells him what to do, which is to pray, and so he prays. He prays for his ex-girlfriend. I pray your brakes go out (laughs) while you're running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head just like I would like to do. Yikes. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray your dreams never come true. I know, just know that wherever you are, near or far, in your house or in your car, wherever you are, honey, I pray for you, I pray for you. Uh. Horrible, right? Horrible. It's a horrible song. Paul prays for the Philippians that their love may abound. And we pray. You know, I think we, we laugh about that song. It is funny. It's ridiculous. Uh, but we marginalize prayer, don't we? Like in our society, I think even amongst non-believers, some tragedy will happen. Something will go wrong. And the immediate response is, I'll, I'll pray for you. And it's something we say. And I think as Christians, we often mean it. I know that I, uh, a little while ago, a couple years ago, I got into the habit of, of never just saying, oh, I'll pray for you. But whether it's in text message or in email or in phone call, instead of saying, I'll pray for you, it's like, can I pray right now? And I will email a prayer. Lord, I pray you, the healer, would heal this person. Instead of just saying, I will pray, I, I pray in the email, in the text message. And I think that's, that's what we're called to do. As believers, we don't just say we're going to pray. We do pray. And I think we often, in our society, the, the world around us marginalizes prayer. Because I don't think we really believe, like in our society, that prayer works. If we really believe, if the United States really believed that prayer works, then we would pray a whole lot more. Amen? Amen. 
So we believe that. We believe prayer works. Have you ever prayed to increase your love? Paul prays for the Philippians. He says, may your love abound. Have you ever asked that for yourself? Have you ever prayed for that? Maybe you've prayed for someone else to fall in love with you. Maybe you've prayed for someone else uh, that, that you might not be lonely, that you'd be surrounded with friends. But have you ever prayed for your own love to increase. I think it's a wonderful thing to pray for, that inside of you would abound with this true love. What is love? Well, it's not, I think we throw around the word a lot in English in our society, but Paul here is using the word agape. Agape is this Greek word, and there's lots of word studies. You, you know that I love Greek words and Greek word studies. And we could get really into this word because it means a whole lot more than our English word love. It means, some translations use the word charity. Maybe your uh, translation says charity. Uh, Paul defines this word for us in 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous passage. It's uh, a part of many weddings. I was at a wedding yesterday and officiated a ceremony from some people that were in the college ministry years ago and we gave them a card and on the card the cover was 1 Corinthians 13 starts off and says love is patient love is kind and it goes it's this beautiful this is what agape is love is kind let's talk about that for a minute I'm reading a biography of Mr. Rogers did you know he was a Presbyterian pastor a very strong believer Christian he said something about kindness we'll put the quote on the on the board if we have it Uh, but he talks about success there are three ways to ultimate success this is Mr. Rogers the first way is to be the second way is to be the third way is to be Kind. I really. I think I. The, the word love is hijacked in our society, and I, the word just kind or kindness. That might be a much better word for what we're talking about. I pray, Paul says, that kindness would abound in us. Love is also patient. It's patient. It's kind. Think about uh, being a, a parent. Maybe you've uh, had the wonderful uh, opportunity to bring uh, your kid or kids through the grocery store as a parent. It's a wonderful experience. Everyone should experience that at some point. Uh, there was, the story goes that there was a, a mom bringing her little girl through the grocery store and just screaming a little four-year-old or something, wanting every little piece of candy and screaming and not getting it, throwing a fit, running away, just wailing on the floor. And the mom just starts to begin to say things, Denise, you can do this. Denise, you got this. Denise, you can go home after and take a nap. Denise, have patience. She's saying this all through the store. She gets to the checkout counter and the woman uh, ringing up the groceries turns to the little girl and says, little Denise, your mom is being so patient with you. And the mom says, I'm Denise. (laughs) But patience, think about love in that story. I pray that your patience may abound, that your kindness may abound. This is what love is, kindness, selflessness. I think about this image, and it's an image, I pray that for you, it is like a prophetic image, that this image I've been thinking about all week uh, would, would cut to you, and you would imagine it in your heart as well. And it's an image of what abounding love looks like. Do you know how um, uh, what abounding love looks like. It means like in, the, in the, an analogy of water is just leave the hose on. That's what abounding love 
looks like. I think about uh, like you're, you're filling up a bucket and you just leave the water on until the bucket is full and overflowing. Years ago, before kids, uh, I was distracted. I can't imagine what I was distracted about uh, before kids, but I was filling up a bucket in the front yard and turned on the hose and walked away to go do something, came back about four hours later. <laughs> <laughs> the lawn was soaked. The neighbor's lawn was soaked. Somebody came over and joked, yeah, thanks for water in the whole neighborhood. And in my mind, I'm just thinking like gallons per minute, per hour. And I was like, that's like 3,000 gallons. What is this going to cost me? And imagine in this story, the abounding love part of it, that there is no cost, that we can come before the throne room of God and purchase without money, that There is no cost to the abounding love of God. And so imagine that bucket being full, your life being filled up with water from the Lord, and it just overflowing again and again. Paul says it like this. I'll read it for you. It's the verse uh, nine of what we just read, chapter one in Philippians nine. My prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, knowledge and in depth of insight. I think those are like the banks of this river. If our lives are like buckets being filled up and overflowing, then then where the water goes is held in line by these river banks. Knowledge and depth of insight. That our love is, is not like, I think in our culture we often talk about love and really if we really define what that person's talking about, that's, no, that's not love. That's your appetite. Like if someone says, I love a certain food. Like I love, I don't know, what do you love? What do you love to eat? Pizza. I love pizza. Does that mean you, know, you would be kind and, and gentle and uh, compassionate? To pe- no, you want to consume pizza. You want to eat it. And so I, we would say, that's, well, that's not love. That's like a desire. That's consuming something. Love is what we are talking about here. Love is being selfless to something, someone, to the Lord. Love is not, is, is, is not a flash flood that brings disaster. If you don't know what a flash flood is, just Google Manitou Springs flash flood and you will see pictures, you will see videos. Uh, I mean, right here is the creek that flooded into this building in 2013. Water came flooding into the basement before we were uh, ever in here. But, it, but a flash flood is destructive. It's like that's the kind of love that I think sometimes uh, our society talks about that it's just passion and it's raging like desire for something. You want someone, you want something. And we call that love and that is not love. Of, uh, what the love of the Lord looks like is a gentle spring, an ever flowing stream, crystal clear, refreshing, delicious water for the world that is very, very thirsty. This, this idea of the riverbanks being knowledge and depth of insight. I appreciate a quote by Maximus the Confessor, uh, uh, someone who I've read a lot of. He defines love. He has these 400 little sayings on love, and the very first one is this. He defines love as a holy state of the soul, espousing itself to value. What is love? Well, it's really valuing the knowledge of God above all created things. And I enjoy that definition that true love really gets to the heart of who God is. 
And I think that, that when we put this kind of love in the knowledge, uh, uh, the banks of knowledge and discernment or depth of insight, then we will flow with the Lord and we will be uh, in his spirit and in his will. Next point is this. This is point two of two. We'll wrap up the sermon with this. And it's about the gospel. The gospel is good news of love. We sang it this morning. Uh, My debt's been paid. Nothing can separate us from the power of your great love. That, that's what the guy, you know, the, the word gospel means good news. So if we say the gospel of good news, it's kind of like saying ATM machine, machine, like, like we've already said it. You see, the, what the good news is, is the gospel. Epigelion is the Greek word, and it's good news. People from the outside look into us as a church. It's like, what do these guys believe? And sometimes they think, oh, they, they believe that the, you should be mean and judgmental to everyone. No, 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 no. The good news, what we really believe is a message of love, a message of grace and mercy. And Paul is all about this. Paul is about seeing the gospel going out. And if we are like this image, this image that I pray for you is like a prophetic image of God filling up your bucket of your life. And when you get to the full brim, it just starts going over. And for hours and hours and weeks and months and years, water is just pouring out of your bucket. That is what the gospel and the gospel going forth and the gospel advancing looks like. It's like love being poured out and beautiful, delicious, clear, clean water going into a dry land. That's what the gospel looks like. Our little phrase that we say, at least to the outside world, the Pikes Peak Bulletin is Manitou's newspaper. And every week we have this little ad and it says, come and see. And that's kind of our, just our motto, a phrase that we say to the city, like, just come and see. We love Manitou, come and see. And I think, what would we want someone to come and see? Well, we would want someone to come and see a bucket with a hose in it that's been just overflowing for days and weeks and months of the Lord's goodness and the Lord's mercy. And they're like, wow, there's, there's flowers growing everywhere. There's trees, there's grass. I did not expect so much love to be here. This is what Paul wants. This is what Paul prays for, that the gospel would go out. It's kind of interesting. Verse 12, I'll start reading. Paul is saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that whatever happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, what's happened to him? Well, he's been taken for, for sharing the gospel and kind of causing an uproar and going against the Roman government saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been put into jail and in jail he sits at this very moment as he writes this letter. That that's actually a good thing because now the gospel is going out. Look at this, verse 13, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. So I'm trying to figure out like where he is. He's, he's being guarded. He's in some sort of royal space, maybe awaiting trial, and it's become obvious to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. Wow, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
Think about this, and this image I told you I'd come back to of, of Paul maybe being chained to a place, like in a prison, this palace, but he may be chained to another guard in the ancient world, That's especially in transport where Paul was going. Paul was headed off to Rome, the capital city, all expenses paid by Rome for Paul to go to Rome, and along the way, Paul's just advancing the gospel. He's telling everyone he knows, and so I have this image in my head, uh, and I, I assume it's somewhat historically accurate from my research, is that Paul is praying for opportunities to share the gospel, and then he gets chained, literally, to someone who is a captive audience chained to him, and what do you think he talks about? The gospel. Out of him is flowing this love like a hose of the Lord's mercy flowing into a bucket. Paul gets to share the good news, the gospel of love into all of this world, and so I have a question for you. Um, this is just between you and the Lord. And I just, I, I guess it's a question about that image, hopefully a prophetic image for you of, of your life being a bucket. And, and what's the hose like going into your bucket? Is, is it down to just a, a, a trickle? Is it down to just a drop every once in a while that eventually just evaporates and there'll never be a chance of the bucket being full? Or is that hose like turned on all the way? And, and what is the shape of your bucket? Is there little cracks in it? Is there a big hole in it that, that water's running in, but then it's, it's leaking, it's going not where it's supposed to go? Or is the water filling up your bucket? Is the Lord's love filling up your bucket? When we receive communion, which is what we'll do in just a minute here, all will be invited to come. Our tradition is to come. Just, I mean, tradition, I mean like New Life Manitou, like three years tradition. It goes way back. Uh, our tradition is to, to, to come down with open hands. And there's a reason for that, that we all, all of us, come before the Lord empty. We come before him empty, vessels, buckets. We come before the Lord and then the bread is placed into our hand. We don't come grabbing at it. And, and, and no, 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 the, the Lord, we just show up empty handed and the Lord himself, the, the miracle, the mystery of him filling up our hands, our empty hands and our buckets. That is the image for today. That is the image of communion. Would you stand with me? The band can come forward. I have a passage to read. This passage is one that, if you've been around New Life Manitou for a while, you've heard us read this passage. It's one of our vision passages. It's one of our passages that we have gotten a lot of encouragement from. And it's about water. And it's about Manitou in a sense that Manitou is this place of springs and creeks running through in a very dry place that is Colorado. And it's an image that is one of metaphor that the Lord is providing and so if I, if I could ask you to, to bow your heads, and some of you in here just, just in that question, you know that um, your, your bucket has cracks in it maybe, and you need the Lord to come and fix that. That's not a, something you can do. Or maybe you need the Lord to, to re-aim the hose into your bucket. It's, it's, it's been somewhere else, and you know that you need to come back to your life and, and get it right with the Lord. And I think there's some of you in here that, that maybe today, whatever today is, you know, the 8th of September, maybe you got up this morning just knowing that, that I, I need to do something different. I need to start a new journey. I need to receive the Lord. Some of you are going to receive the Lord today, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand or an altar call. 
if you would come down after the service and let me know, let someone know that, that you want to turn to the Lord or turn back to the Lord. Maybe some of you for um, a long time have been kind of wandering from the Lord in this image. You've been far off you, you, with your bucket walking in another direction, maybe getting muddy water, maybe getting water that is stagnant and you, you've had enough and you want to return to the Lord. And there's clear, refreshing, cold water that he and only he can provide. So here's this passage. It comes from Isaiah. It's, it's a promise. It's a promise for us. It says that when there's poor and there's needy and they're searching for water and there's none and these people are so thirsty, their tongues are parched with thirst, it says, then I, the Lord, will answer them. The God of Israel will never abandon them. Open up rivers on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valley. Fill the desert with pools of water. And rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. And I will plant trees in the barren desert. Cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. And I'm doing this so that all who see this miracle will understand what it means. And here's what it is. Here's what it all means. This image of water it all just points back to the Lord and his love. It says that the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. 